This is um, one of the most important sessions, uh, I suppose, of people who are freelance journalists and welcome to our students who are also here and uh, would be in the position of having to pitch at the moment. Um, but it's nice to know how to pitch and, you know, as somebody uh, was saying this morning, do I put in the whole detailed pitch or do I not? Do I just give a brief amount or do I give them the, you know, the few hundred words or whatever? Um, I have with me, um, it, this is... Um, Deirdre Belden, and Deirdre is the editor of the Health Plus, which is the health part of the Irish Times. That's the correct way to describe you, Deirdre? Yeah. She's on maternity leave at the moment, so there is no point in any direct pitching. <laughs> so, okay. And as I said, I'm in first anyway when she comes back. <laughs> and so, but anyway, we won't do direct pitching today. And on this other side here is Michael Smith, and Michael is the editor and publisher of Village Magazine. Um, he's also a barrister, I understand. He's a barrister, plus some other uh, things I found <coughs> on the internet, which I promised him that I would say. Right. No, no, nothing, nothing derogatory. Nothing derogatory. <laughs> uh, now, the Village Magazine, again, I've taken this directly from the internet, and it says it's left-wing news, political and cultural magazine. So, if that's correct or not correct. So, as you can see, we've got two completely different um, uh, publications here, um, so there will be obviously different, um, different, and both will be very specialised. Um, so you know, either political, cultural, and left wing, or health, and it's not something that basically, as a journalist, you, you can blag your way through. I know a lot of us as freelance, we can blag our way through a lot of things. And I said to somebody already this morning. I wrote a DIY column for two years, and I know nothing about DIY, either then or now. I know nothing. But you know, you you uh, you know, you never refuse if somebody asks you to do something because you can always find a way around it. Uh, but these are two very special subjects, so you, you really can't lag your way. So you must know your subject if you're going to be writing for either of these. Michael, I think you're going to go first. Yeah, Is that yeah? I just actually distribute a few of these magazines for those who don't who of you who don't know the product. So I'm happy to keep this fairly interactive if anyone wants to intervene at any stage, um, ask questions or whatever, although I think there will be collection or questions collected um, at the end as well. Um, so I'll talk a little bit just very briefly about uh, me and the magazine, then I'll talk about the material that we uh, publish generally, um, how we treat material that we get, and then um, at the end uh, how to get published in in in, uh, in village, including some style issues, a sort of a, a DIY uh, <coughs> how you got published in village. I should say that I'm sort of new to the game. I'd probably balk at being described as a journalist. I do other things, and I only took over uh, village about <coughs> five years ago. Uh, my background was, I suppose, as a, an activist. I was involved in. Uh, in environmental and anti-corruption campaigning issues. So I think that affects my overall approach. Um, we don't primarily do the magazine to make money. We do the magazine to make a difference and to fill niches that aren't being filled <laughs> elsewhere. And as a result, uh, we haven't made money. Um, we, uh, and in fact, I, I sort of fell into <laughs> fell into the magazine after Vincent Brown closed, closed down the previous company. But the magazine loses, it loses about uh, under €10,000 a year. Now, we're trying to improve that, but um, it's very frugally, uh, frugally run. Um, and reflecting that, I suppose, unfortunately, from your point of view, it is true to say that we paid the lower end of the scale. Um, so in many ways, it might, you might regard it as um, sort of a uh, point of entry to the marketplace more than a, uh, a staple or a, or a breadwinner, um, realistically. Um, we're published bi-monthly, which every, every two months, uh, and we publish about 40 articles uh, each time. It's extremely uh, serious, I suppose, but dense in particular. Uh, we're unwisely dense. We'd be the densest uh, magazine uh, on the market. We publish often fairly long and fact-heavy uh, articles, but we do have a lot to say, so it's deliberate, I suppose, that we are that way. Um, and we are left-wing and investigative. So then, who, um, uh, who typically writes for us? I suppose that, uh, in general, 
um, small magazines formed themselves in the likeness of their editors. So um, in general, it's probably true to say that when Vincent had it, uh, that the magazine sort of looked like him. Uh, and now it looks, it looks more like me, or I suppose it's in transition. So uh, um, it'll be, if you can visualize it, half Vincent and half me, if it was a person. Um, we don't actually do market research, but I would imagine that most of the, the readership would be ABC One. It's, it's very serious and dense political and cultural uh, material. Um, but reflecting this, I suppose, the differences between me and Vincent, when Vincent had it, typically a lot of the unsolicited material that came to the magazine was from sort of indie-media-style indie um, writers. Uh, and I've tweaked it. We're maybe trying to do something that... We <laughs> we would see as being a bit more uh, modern uh, and maybe we put more emphasis on, um, on design and presentation. But anyway, we also, we, we, we typically get a lot of uh, unsolicited material from academics, um, which is a peculiarity of, of the current incarnation, which is a, it requires a particular sort of editing, mostly for turgidity, <laughs> I suppose, and also, and also to eliminate jargon which is a, a typical um, speciality um, for academics. But, but, yeah. um, but at least from my point of view, um, the, the material submitted tends to be accurate uh, and often material that isn't out there in the public domain otherwise. Um, I'd say in general at the moment we have sort of exactly the balance of writers um, that we'd want, except that I suppose we, we, we only come out every two months um, and we're, uh, we're part-time and low budget, so we can't retain um, any paid journalists at the, at the top of the scale, I suppose. So um, I suppose there would be a niche. If we had more money, we'd like to recruit a, uh, you know, a high-profile, well-known journalist. And in fact, it's quite difficult um, to get them to write for you at all. A lot of them, I think it's changed maybe over the last few years, but when I started off, you could get you know, the likes of uh, Justine McCarthy or Eamon Dunphy would occasionally submit articles but now they're operating under stricter contracts, maybe reflecting the difficulty of the times. They're not allowed really to write for other publications other than their main ones. Um, the bad news is that I'd say three quarters of the articles that we publish are free of payment to us. Um, so uh, in the current edition, I'd say there are about 11 or 12 articles that we've paid for. Um, and our only costs are printing and the costs of contributors, so we do have to keep the cost down. It's important to, I suppose, to get into your heads the, the, the importance of frugality to us, I suppose, in the scheme of things. We have, um, we have a number of regular columnists. Um, for example, we have Neil Crowley, who's a former head of the Equality Authority. We have Konstantin Gergiev, who uh, writes on economic matters. We have Ivana Batchik, uh, TD and Senator and uh, John Gormley, former uh, leader of the Green Party. Um, and we do, we also, they, they'd be sort of the, the, the uh, in-house um, staples of Village. Uh, we also, we typically in, in NESC, we, we would have a number of established journalists. Frank Connolly um, writes for us in every edition. Um, John Gibbons, he used to write for the uh, Irish Times on environmental matters. Jared Cunningham um, figures quite a lot. Um, so I would say if we pay for 10 articles, we probably have about 10 freelancers. So that, in other words, um, some freelancers don't charge for various reasons, uh, and some non-journalists do. But anyway, we have about 10 freelancers in every edition, and we pay for about 11 or 12 articles, I suppose. I would say we get three different categories of, of writers, um, roughly representing about a third, of, a third each in the magazine. Um, so I'd, people who I describe as village lifers, a lot of who contribute for uh, ideological reasons or because they support the, uh, the aims of the magazine, that would be about a third of the contributors. A third would be academics, and then a third would be, I suppose, freelancers. And just to give an insight, maybe I'll rate them in terms of how uh, the extent to which they tick the boxes that I would consider important, just to give you an idea of the sort of thinking that um, we'd apply. I suppose... Um, the criteria I would, in my head, I, just, I um, hadn't really reflected on this until I was asked to give this talk, but there are three criteria. Price would be a big one. The cost of the magazine has to be a factor, unfortunately. 
and hopefully when the economy improves that won't be so much of a factor. Price would be the first one. The educative or informative value, we do like to get fact-rich, ideally statistics-heavy sort of material. And then the third one is very important against that background when we, we apply sort of an ideological filter as well. It's very important not to be preachy or not to be boring or not to rant. So it's important that there should be a style. And maybe unlike the way it was in its previous incarnation, we try to do, to the extent that it's possible, a sort of a slick and modern style or to keep it entertaining. We welcome a tone. What I look for is fact-rich tonal articles, I think, are, you know, would be my ideal. Uh, village article. But anyway, in terms of the extent to which these things deliver, this could be a bit brutal, but anyway, the um, village lifers, I would say, in terms of, out, out of ten, I'd say, in terms of the extent to which they suit me or the magazine, I'd give them five, five, five for um, the suitability of the price, the educational value, and the uh, entertainment value. Academics actually work quite well in the, scheme, in the scheme of my vision for the magazine. I'd give them 10 for price because they, they never charge really. <laughs> Their educative and informative value, once you've taken out the jargon, is also very high. I'd give that 10, so they suit me very well, but I do have to accept that they're typically <laughs> pretty low in entertainment value. Um, and then freelancers, and this is a bit shocking, um, but I would say in terms of price, so this is a bit brutal, but obviously they're the ones who most characteristically do charge. So in my head, it's, it's two out of ten in terms of the extent to which that suits me. Um, and then I'm afraid that just my experience isn't necessarily good. Now, a lot of these people wouldn't be NUJ freelancers. They'd be people who are coming, coming not necessarily from anywhere you know, that, I, that I can specifically pinpoint. But I'd give them five for educative inform uh, value and information uh, quality and five for entertainment. So... They don't typically work that well for the magazine, I would say. But I'm, again, I'm emphasising that this is people who are not experienced. The, the, this is typically unsolicited um, freelance writers, maybe more than journalists, coming from, uh, as I say, presumably not NUJ members. But anyway, some of the freelancers that we employed in the last, uh, there's a, a range of them. It's sort of difficult to spot a pattern. But anyway, the likes, we had very, we had Brendan Bath, for example, wrote in the... Uh, the last magazine. He's technically a freelancer, I suppose. You may remember he was on the radio years ago. But um, John Gibbons, um, Harry Brown, who's an academic and author as well as a journalist, and Jared. Um, so I'd rate all of those obviously very, uh, very highly. Um, I think in the last edition, only only two of the articles came unsolicited. Um, from freelancers, so that maybe gives you an idea. But several articles would have come in from um, semi-journalists unsolicited, and of course a lot of the articles would come in from people who started off as freelancers and now we've established a relationship with them and they're regularly contributing um, to the magazine. Um, so how do we handle the material when it comes our, our way? We have two, um, two contributing editors who to some extent filter uh, material, particularly Neil Crowley uh, who has a big bias towards equality issues, community issues, and I suppose issues concerning poverty. Um, so he actually handles about, he, he would actually commission eight or nine of those articles, but they're tip, typically from activists or academics, not from, um, from freelancers. Um, but, and John Gormley does some commissioning of environmental issues. But in general, articles should be sent to me uh, at, on my email address. Um, I would say by, by journalists. Now, I, sh I should say that um, we've a wide-ranging agenda embracing politics and um, news and culture and media. But it is actually the case. I, I am conscientious. I would read anything anything that's submitted on that email address. I definitely read, uh, and I don't. I wouldn't just scan it. I'd be aware of the whole nuance of the article. I'd be aware of the accuracy and the uh, the clarity and the tone, the whole thing, I would, I would give everything that's, that comes into me um, time. Uh, and typically the stuff, thankfully now, is suitable. Um, we, I get very little stuff that's, that's um, completely unviable. Um, while I do read everything, it's probably good in the case of Village to follow up if you don't get an immediate response, partly because of the cycle. If you, um, if you write a week after the last edition has come out, I'm not dealing with the magazine. We only do, we actually only deal with the magazine for three weeks coming up to publication, so it's much more likely that you'll be treated seriously if you, uh, if you get the, um, the submission in around that time. Um, 
of course, we're also, uh, for news, it's very good to, to articles that come in in the couple of days before publication, if they're meaty and they're news, they have a, a, a huge head start. We're always in the, the business of, of printing news. Um, and I, I think the encouraging message, we're, we're well disposed towards material that comes in like that, even if it's completely unsolicited. So I would say if, if your article is good enough, um, we'll publish it. If you submit it unsolicited, a, a piece, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think the provenance is, is irrelevant. Uh, so, um, but I, I would say that in general, the um, the quality of stuff that we get from students and from and unsolicited stuff from freelancers isn't brilliant. Sorry to say that, but that's I think it's important to be you know to say the truth as I see it. But again, that's mostly people who are not NUJ members. Um, <coughs> So, uh, and I'd also say when, when we commission work, um, I'm often not happy with the, uh, with the um, quality of what comes in. Often the brief isn't strictly followed through on and it's embarrassing to get somebody to rewrite it or whatever. I much prefer to get material, um, the, the, the full article coming in, and that's typically what people um, <coughs> do. Um, so you're probably well versed in this, but just, we actually, we are very concerned with style. We, 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 we notice and we welcome and we um, promote good quality writing. So um, I won't bore you with this, but they are, I, I know, um, well, of course, the, fir the first thing would be spell it properly. Um, but um, beyond that, I, I go along with um, Orwell had six elementary rules. And we would notice this stuff and hold it against people. So you may think that, that everybody is just concerned with the materiality of what you're writing, but we are concerned with style. Um, so never use a metaphor, uh, simile, or other figure of speech when you're used to seeing it in print. In other words, cliches are, especially, we spend a lot of time clearing this stuff out of articles from academics. So from journalists, it's important, particularly important to when you're pitching to village to avoid them. Um, never use a long word when a short one will do. Um, if, it's possible, if it's possible to cut out a word, cut it out. Never use the passive when you can use the active. Never use a foreign phrase, a scientific word, or a jargon word if you can think of an everyday English equivalent. And then break any of these rules sooner than say anything that's outright barbarous. Um, but those, they're very real for us. It makes a difference. The magazine is dense and it's, the material is very serious. We can't deal with stuff if it's badly written and turgid, cliche written. Um, so, uh, yeah, I read a, a something in the Economist Style Guide that I think is important, um, which said, if you can't say that a, at least a little part of you loves uh, good or great writing, then don't be a journalist or a writer. I think it's true. It may appear like that's, you know, esoteric or for the fairies or birds or whatever, but I think it's very real. Um, so then just the nuts and bolts briefly of what we, um, what we welcome. Um, um, so this is sort of the DIY bit. Um, we welcome, we, we, we have a dearth of leftish economics. We publish Konstantin Gergiev, we put in a, uh, in a column which we call Interloper because he's the ultimate right-wing libertarian and we're looking for um, left-wing eco uh, economic pieces. But they can't, they, they have to be as, as fact-rich and as statistic-based as his stuff is. His stuff is very good in terms of, uh, you know, it's predictive value, etc. And we have difficulty getting people on the left. The truth is people who write on the left tend to be softer-minded than people who write on the, on the right, maybe. Um, but um, we welcome economics pieces. Um, we'd we'd, I'd love to get material on, say, profiling Irish institutions, if we could get somebody to write long pieces. We will commission long pieces. We once commissioned an eight-page piece by um, John Waters, um, who normally we ban from the magazine for his politics, but an eight-page piece, not just on Bob Dylan, but on one Bob Dylan song. So if the, if the prose is good um, and it's worthy, we will consider publishing whatever, whatever the length. But we'd welcome profiles of Irish institutions. If people have the noose and the... Um, are well enough informed to, for example, give us a profile of the Department of Finance or the, the um, Environmental Protection Agency or SIP2 or whatever. We'd love to get that, um, and we have difficulty getting that. We'd publish that at four or five pages at least if we got it. We'd welcome fact-rich interviews um, and also news, and that's something that we've a surprising dearth of, news pieces that come into us that are news that they necessarily need to come in, probably mostly need to come into us in the, in the couple of days before publication. For us publication is the first Friday of every uh, second month. 
So if it comes in, we, we do, we uh, often pu publish stuff that's coming even the day of publication. We can shovel other stuff out and, and fit it in if it's, if it's, um, if it's genuine news. Um, make sure your cover email is flawless. I'm really tough, <laughs> tough-minded about uh, the cover, cover email, and the, be aware that we are uh, we're in the market for well-written pieces. Um, for me, as I say, uh, the best thing is to send in the whole article, um, uh, or a full synopsis, which should ideally describe your sources and tone. It's important to you know, to indicate to us the tone that you uh, intend, but I much prefer to get um, to get the full article, uh, and will take time if the, you know if, if it shows if it, you know if it's if it has three quarters of things we'll, we're we're in the market for, then I'll take time to get back to the person, and we can work on improving it so it conforms more with the style that we're actually looking for. Follow up with a call um, is no no harm, and also maybe e e email again if you don't get a response. Um, if you're being commissioned, which as I say is rare for us, listen really acutely to what the uh, commissioner, commissioner wants. And as I say, in my experience, um, commissioning has been a problem because we often don't get what we're looking for and it's frustrating and embarrassing for, for everybody. Um, and then with Village, you have to, we do pay, um, but you have to sometimes, unfortunately, hassle for payment or remind us that, uh, that payment. It's <laughs> a contributor at the back there, I think. Um, but in, in general, um, so just to synopsize what we're looking for, uh, leftish economics articles, fact-rich profiles of Irish institutions, clever and fact-rich interviews, and uh, most importantly of all, news features. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, for that very informative. And um, Deirdre, thank you very much. Thanks, Jean. Um, as Jean mentioned, uh, I edit Health Plus. It's uh, technically Health Plus Family, um, which comes out <laughs> weekly um, Tuesdays with the Irish Times. It's a 16-page uh, tabloid supplement, for those of you who are not familiar with it. And it, in the broadest sense of the word, it covers health issues um, and issues related to um, parenting and family. Um, it features um, a number of uh, regular columnists who write on either medical or um, um, psychological um, issues or um, also uh, advice columns, particularly parenting advice, um, which is much in demand. Um, so the content is a mix of features, uh, colour, interviews, um, uh, news features, I suppose, and um, it's mostly kind of fairly straightforward content that we look for, um, reasonably objective, and we have uh, less of a political um, agenda, for example, than, I mean that in a positive way, uh, than uh, Village. Um, so it would be reasonably straightforward um, content. Um, and uh, on a weekly basis, um, the, the, the content featured would be a mix of that written by uh, staff writers for the Irish Times who may, may or may not be writing outside of their section. There are a couple of dedicated health writers. Um, there are a number of uh, externally based columnists who write on specialist issues primarily. <coughs> um, there are a number of um, contributors who write on the same themes. Um, week after week, for example, parenting. Um, and then we have uh, unsolicited or freelance uh, commissioned pieces um, that appear weekly. Um, so um, on a weekly basis, uh, we have far more copy and far more uh, pitches than we have space for. Um, so just something to uh, kind of bear in mind, I suppose. Um, as I said, it is 16 pages. Um, the readership is... Um, primarily uh, ABC One again in, in line with the newspaper, um, but out of the, the the readership of the newspaper, uh, you would you would attract uh, more women readers and uh, also more older readers, um, and then obviously you know people with um, families with young children um, would be a key uh, target area for us too. Um, the articles in general, nothing like the length of um, Village magazine. 
um, we would have shorter pieces, maybe around a thousand words would be a fairly standard, um, fairly standard length, um, sometimes shorter. And um, it would be unusual that we would uh, commission or uh, accept um, an unsolicited um, piece of, of 2000 words, for example. But it does happen, but it's, it's uh, not all that common. Um, and because you're working with a, with a tabloid size um, page, um, you're trying to keep the reader's interest for just for the, the length of the page, generally speaking. Um, what I've done is kind of come up with, um, <coughs> you know, my version of, you know, the Ten Commandments of um, pitching to newspapers. Um, now you can, you know, say, you know, what does she know about that? Um, and you'd be right. Um, but um, it's just, it's through my experience of, taking pictures in from people and um, and what I see around me um, you know I work with a number of other commissioning editors uh, on the same floor so I see what kind of works for them as well so from that I've kind of derived um, what I think works well um, so um, to start off um, decide at an early stage where you believe your finished story should land um, and for example if you've decided that uh, your story should land in the, the health and family supplement, maybe even where it would sit within that supplement, because there tends to be a, a kind of a formulaic nature uh, to even the individual pub within the individual publications themselves. Um, then I would say before you go anywhere, take a close look at the style and the average um, story lengths in that section and tailor your pitch accordingly. There's absolutely no point in pitching a piece, for example, that, you, that uh, might be um, published in Village, uh, and of commensurate length and so on um, to the health uh, plus supplement. Uh, it's, it's very unlikely to be a good fit. Um, second thing I would say is use your research skills. Uh, find out the name and the direct contact details um, of the person you're pitching to. Obviously, this is a, a good forum for doing just that. Um, and time your pitch accordingly as, as part of that. And, and Michael alluded to it as well. Um, there's no point in pitching. Um, for example, uh, to me on a, a Monday afternoon, unless it is earth shattering news, um, which you know is less likely um, uh, to be the case. Um, so, you know, Monday afternoon would not be a great time because we're going to print and um, you generally wouldn't have time to look at an email. And you know yourself when an email comes in, if you don't deal with it straight away, um, I'm sure there are good <coughs> statistics on this. It's it's more difficult to come back to it after the fact. Um, so just just think about the timing of your pitch and uh, to whom you were pitching it. Um, every pitch starts with an idea, um, and a good idea is a good idea, and does go a long way, and never underestimate the importance of a good idea. Um, and even, as Michael said, uh, to the point of, um, you know, really overcoming issues with a writing style or um, maybe even the reliability of the person to deliver on deadline. If it's a good idea, sometimes that will will sell itself. Um, but run through a personal checklist with your idea every time. Uh, it is a worthwhile exercise. Um, for example, when was this covered? Uh, this issue um, last covered in this in this section or in this publication? If it was never covered before, why wasn't it covered before? If it has already appeared in, in some form or guise, uh, why should it be revisited and make a strong, you know, aim to make a strong case for revisiting it if that's what you want to do? Um, what is the unique selling point about your pitch? Uh, you know, what are you bringing to the proposition? Um, and, you know, think about, uh, from a commissioning editor's point of view, um, say, for example, in, in the health supplement, um, if we wanted to cover, for example, the cut in uh, home help hours, um, it would be relatively straightforward uh, for us to um, ask uh, a journalist uh, working within the newspaper to cover that as a kind of a news issue or a news feature issue, right? If you were pitching it, um, you're thinking, well, what you know, what can I do that's that's a little bit different to that, or what can I, where can I add the value here? And perhaps it's in you know something as fundamental as being able to uh, having the time on your hands to do the legwork that attaches to maybe going out and interviewing people who are affected directly by the um, change in the home help hours. Um, 
the uh, another thing is to be honest with yourself uh, in relation to the idea. Will you do a good job on this idea? Maybe this idea isn't isn't uh, you know something that you will do particularly well. Maybe you would do something else a bit better. Um, and you should be proposing, you know, while it's an idea, you should be proposing a story, not a theme or a, a topic. It should be it should be as specific as that. Um, look at whether the you will indicate generally in pitches you would indicate broadly speaking when you'd be able to deliver it uh, or at least that would be the, the the thrust of the discussion that would m- maybe take place between you and the commissioning editor after the fact um, look at whether that is a good deadline for you <coughs> don't commit to a deadline that you can't later adhere to and that you find uh, that you're, you're, you're unable to adhere to later and it's good to have stories that um, while it is good to have stories that are uh, timely in some way um, it's probably not a great idea, certainly from our point of view, um, if a story has to run on a particular week, unless, of course, it's a brilliant story. Um, but if it has to run on a particular week and you are sort of holding a gun to the head of the commissioning editor saying it absolutely must run this week, that might seem like a good strategy, you know, because they'll have to sign up or, or otherwise one way or another. What might actually happen is the commissioning editor would just say, look, I've just got too much on my plate and, you know, pass on it that week and then it's gone you know then the week is gone because you have you have put that sort of up front and centre it may go without saying uh, you should pitch a given story to one publication at a time and um, try not to ask for a uh, response um, ASAP Uh, you would not believe the number of people who um, do ask for a response uh, as soon as possible so that they can pitch it to other publications. Do you know what I mean? I know that, but like, um, you know, I don't really need to be uh, reminded. Um, The cleanest and easiest way to pitch is via email, solely via email. Um, And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about phone contact and uh, uh, phone calls and whether it's a good idea to follow up by phone and uh, all that kind of thing. I would say, by and large, not. You're, you're not going to get a great response from, from trying to phone people and trying to engage them uh, in that way at a particular time in their day. It's much better if there's an email there. It's waiting for them whenever they get to it. They might need to be reminded that it's there. <coughs> um, a follow-up phone call is probably unnecessary. If you need send within you know a few days, send a reminder email. Nobody minds that because it's, it's quite a passive thing. But, um, you know, people ringing up saying, I sent you an email the other day, you haven't responded yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't really, it doesn't really work all that well because just human nature, I suppose, is to, is to kind of react badly to that because people see it as a failing on their part. And yes, commissioning editors don't return phone calls and they're rubbish on the phone, you know. Um, so um, uh, it's best not to kind of try and berate them for it, though. I suppose. Um, Commissioning editors really want to be told in many ways uh, what they want. Um, In other words, have a clear, focused notion of the idea that you are pitching. Um, It's it's not a good idea, and I don't think anybody really particularly wants to have a a protracted over and back about, um, well, you know, do you think I should come at it from this point of view, or do you think I should come at it from that point of view? You know, (coughs) <coughs> Mostly, editors are kind of in a hurry and they don't want to have an extended discussion. If they want to ask particular things or they want you to ask particular things or they want it to go in a particular way, they'll send you that without you prompting them. They will tell you that. They'll send it to you via email or they'll call you and they will give you um, full detail on that. But calling them up or uh, emailing them saying, should we nuance it this way or that, um, I don't think works particularly well. Um a good pitch will uh, describe a story in under 200 words. It will have a tentative title. It will clearly spell out an angle. Uh, it may outline proposed interviewees. It may explore photo possibilities or make suggestions for photos. And um, that's always um, very helpful. It may describe a unique online element. Um, it will not simply feature a URL. Um, Sometimes you get emails saying, you know, check this, this out. Uh, wouldn't it be great to do something on it? And 
and that's the text of the, the mail and then you have a URL that you are supposed to follow the link to and um, follow up on from there. That is it's just kind of annoying, I suppose, really, um, because you've got to go off and you've got to look at the, the story um, outlined under the URL. It looks a little bit lazy on the, the part of the, the picture as well. Um, if um, if an editor is not familiar with your expertise or um, your credentials or, or what you might be bringing to the story in, in the form of a specialty, um, do outline it to them in a pitch, concisely, but, but do outline it anyway. Um, and uh, commissioning editors, in my experience, prefer receiving um, accurate, clean copy on deadline uh, over Pulitzer Prize winning writing style. Now, that may be slightly different to Village Magazine, um, but um, in general, um, for the people I work with and uh, for myself, um, I just prefer to get the copy in when it's supposed to be in um, and, you know, nice and readable. Um, and just a final point, the 10th the of the Ten Commandments. Um, if you have, um, for example, one pitch of, of three, say you suggest three pitches in an email, and say one of them is accepted, um, it's not a good idea to keep coming back saying, OK, well, great, I'll take that on. What did you think of the other two? Tell me what you think of the other two. Please tell me now what you think of the other two. That's not a great way to um, elicit a response because usually the the commissioning editor is sort of thinking about, you know, they're thinking about their publication of that week. They're thinking about how the one story they have commissioned from you will fit into that, and they're not thinking about well, you know, what will I do with the other two? They didn't immediately attract them. They may come back to them. Um, and that's um, pretty much uh, where I would leave it. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Deirdre. Uh, two completely different sides of the story, as you can see. Um, so what I will do now is I will take questions from the floor. Uh, if you would please say whether your question is directed at Michael or at Deirdre, it would be helpful. Yes. Uh, Michael, uh, just in relation to uh, articles that are sent to you, uh, what normally unsolicited, um, what would you be looking at for a word count, or does that matter at all? Um, we typically print it one or two pages for us, which is 700 or 1300. But if there's the germ of something interesting, we'll go, we'll go much longer. Yeah, the, the, I'd say nine tenths of the articles are printed in one or two pages. Um, my question is for Michael. Um, for your academic or newsy pieces, do you prefer to have them footnoted with bibliography? Um, no, we we um, our focus is on the hard copies rather than on the internet. So unfortunately, even if they have footnotes, we the editorial <coughs> process often takes them out. Yeah. So the verse that goes on the internet doesn't contain them. So I suppose if something is, if, if, if establishing the factuality is really important, it's helpful to have the footnote and we might reintegrate it ourselves. It's not disastrous to include them, but we don't really welcome them. Hi, my question's for Deirdre. Um, you mentioned they're pitched to one publication at a time. Can you elaborate on, do you mean one publication within the Irish Times, or do you mean, say, like, does a help pitch? You mean, uh, yeah, I would say one. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I should have been clear about that. One section at a time, even within publications. In other words, <coughs> you know, not three sections within the Irish Times, because you know, sure. people don't communicate with each other about every single pitch that arrives in. So, you know, if I'm looking at something and I find out that the features editor is also looking at the same pitch at the same time, then you know, we might discover that
newspapers, but you'd probably do you know one idea and try and do that five, and whoever gets back and offers the best rate is probably why you would do. So you mean to avoid that and just do one so page, if they both take, one take you up in this, If they won't take you up on this, what do you do? Well, it's only happened to me once, which is great. When it does, you're in the position to kind of negotiate. Um, you see who's going to publish it first. Some people don't want to put a deadline on it. Other people might go, well, actually, we can't do it for another two months. Some might go, it's going to go next week. And then I can see my back and say, sorry, this has been taken up. Thank you, but whatever but yeah I guess from a pure yeah, convenience point yeah. of view for the, the, like who cares whether uh, commissioning editors are convenienced or not do you know what I mean yeah but from a convenience point of view if I decide I want a story and I go back to you and say that's great uh, we'll take that and you say sorry the end got in there first then you know I'll be a little bit beefed. yeah but usually that's mm -hmm. not sometimes it depends that's you know, sometimes that happens and that's it's great when it yeah. does. It doesn't always happen. Yeah. Sometimes, you know. But I would say that you might have peeled yeah. off dear to this shirt sure. that you might never look at I anything guess again. I it's, 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 it's a freelance dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a freelance dilemma. One idea can be turned into six or seven stories. Yeah. The usual way is to try and pitch different angles on the same story. I mean, even the point of view of what they're just going to be looking for is going to be different to what the examiner is going to want. So you're going to end up with. It's going to be the same general area, but yeah. there's going to be, as they say in the examiner, where's the cork angle? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so usually it's so different so you angles, but sometimes they can say the same interview. You don't want to be you know. boilerplating everyone, I think. That's no. what you want to avoid. Mm. You want to be in a situation where if both say yes, that there are two separate articles you can provide that aren't going to. Sure. The process can be very simple and streamlined with not much intervention and you do tend to remember people who've sent you stuff or something has gone wrong whether it's they've had to tell you that it's actually been printed somewhere else or what's very irritating is if they send in a second version of it after they've sent in, sent in a first one and you've already, <coughs> you've already edited the first one. That's um, <coughs> that bad for everybody's morale. Oh, was somebody just done with that side before they're done? That, yeah. It's, uh, it's just a question from Michael regarding the format of uh, brief pitches that you would wish to receive. You mentioned <coughs> sending in a synopsis, and um, you also mentioned like a full article. Um, probably more so for your type of publication, you're looking for a lot more exposition within briefs than a lot of other mm -hmm. publications because of the fact-heavy nature and uh, and that type of thing. So just. Would you be able to develop slightly more on, on yeah. the uh, format of the type of brief you'd wish to receive as more like a detailed synopsis? Yeah, so I'm, I'm conscious that we're unorthodox in that respect. I think it's much better if you've never submitted material to the magazine before to submit the whole article. Okay. Much, much better. Um, and as I say, we can go through it. If there's, if there's enough substance in it, we can debate how it can be changed <coughs> and improved. And we, we often do quite radically change material that's um, submitted to us. I don't particularly like getting synopses, but um, we sometimes deal with them, and I, I suppose give as much information as you can. Um, as, as I think I said, include sources, the sort of people that you're proposing to, um, to interview, and also for us, because the material can be dry, we welcome a tone, so it's important to state the tone and maybe suggest that you can actually deliver on that tone. So to do just a lot of the legwork before making first contact. I would strongly recommend just submitting in, a, uh, submitting a few articles that all be read, and if there's, if you think that you've got something important and novel and politically relevant to say, we'll work with you. We welcome it, and we'd be supportive. And it is a different approach because a lot of journalists would say, well, hold on, I'm not going to do all that amount of research and writing an article of whatever, 700 words or 1,000 words, and I've no idea whether you're mm. going to actually publish it or not, and I've done all this, and I've interviewed the people, and, and so on. Mm. So well, I suppose that's, that's the nature of it. We'd, we'd move on from the first couple where we'd be <coughs> looking for that so stringent, but in, in order to establish that we can work together and that the sort of material is, is reliable and sure. reads well, we'd, for the first couple of submissions, it would be, I think, important to, to submit the whole thing. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking of a situation where uh, someone submits a pitch um, by email and there's no reply. Uh, what is the statutory waiting time <laughs> for <laughs> <laughs> to give up hope? 
which are data from my other both. I'm sure they I'm sure they read every and reply to every email, but considering the, the issue in the abstract, what would be the <coughs> weak the uh, valid <coughs> to follow up? If you don't get a reply from the commissioning yeah. editor within a week, should yeah. you is yeah. it legitimate then to move on uh, to Playboy magazine or that would have expired within that time. Um, um, and you read all your emails. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I would think it would be a little bit longer. Sometimes, you know, I, I'm quite taken with things, but I just do not get to get back to people. And it might be two to three weeks, sometimes, yeah. if, if it's something which will hold. And what about a so reminder email? Should he send you a reminder? Yeah, with, within a week, a reminder email is. is and what if the reminder is ignored? <laughs> You have my mobile data. I mean, I, I emailed in Noam Chomsky, and he replies immediately. But I emailed certain luminaries in the world of commission, commission editing, or commissioner editing, uh, actually replying to their emails. I think and that um, if, if somebody's gone, if somebody's gone to the bother of writing you something significant, I think you really have to get back, get back to them. And I don't mind people. I mean, e emails are relatively tame. If people just email, I, I wouldn't object to them doing that at, at any time. Um, if they don't get a reply to two emails, I think they've a right to, uh, to phone up and say, "What are you doing?" You know, especially if they've submitted and. An article. Certain the individuals are in this town are notorious for not replying to emails. It almost seems to be like a, a cast mark, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't reply to emails just like I I don't empty out the trash, you know. Sort of. There seems yeah, to be there's a, the, I suppose a I do. wave of e discourtesy. Sometimes I get. I, know, I have a colleague actually who. Spends most of his time fulminating about this. I listen very patiently. <laughs> Sometimes you get material that looks like it's been copied around very widely. Sometimes you get embarrassing efforts at humour, and you analyse the failures as you perceive them in the humour the first couple of times. But after that, it just gets rude to draw attention to the same things that you don't funny, and clearly they continue to find funny. But in general, if the piece is serious and has substance, I, uh, I don't think you should be unduly worried about upsetting people if they're not dealing with it properly. They should. Thanks. Jared? I would ask the great unspoken question that Some everyone is always afraid to ask. <laughs> How much do you pay? <laughs> and it saves it both of you. <laughs> um, I realise it's a bit how long this piece yeah. of string, but if you could give me some indication for your... Well, it's not as much as we would like. Um, <laughs> it, is, uh, it, it does vary. Um, for a substantial piece, I would say anywhere between 100 and 50 euro and um, 300 euro. That, you know, it, it, so it's a range in between those. those that would be a long form, like up to about 1,500 words, something like that? Or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for a thousand words, you're talking the lower end of that scale. Uh, yeah, it depends Don't on what the subject matter. Sorry, no, I'm just thinking. You know, that a thousand words and, and it's a hundred euro. Um, no, no, it's, it, it it's will be not. That, yeah. But um, no, it's not a hundred euro for a thousand words. But it it does it's vary. It depending. I mean, as you well know, uh, you know, a thousand words can be. Uh, you know, can involve interviewing half a dozen people, um, you know, reading substantial research, um, or it can be maybe one straight interview, which is uh, on the telephone and very easy. Yeah, exactly. So it does vary according to uh, what's involved, I suppose, really. Okay, and it's, an, it's negotiable. I mean, are you offer, do you offer some, and the journalist side there says, mm, you don't really like that, or um, can you give me a bit more? Or? Um, Generally, the subject, because it's the Irish Times, I suppose, the subject of money doesn't come up doesn't until come up. after the fact. I don't know. Everybody wants to buy that. Okay, Michael, are you going to? Um, those arms. Um, it's, we pay between 100 and 200 euros per article. <coughs> Regardless of the length? Um, I would say... Uh, what did you pay? Uh, if somebody, for example... Um, 
the, the Amartya Sen pitcher was looking for a bit more, but I think he was he had to travel to interview. Him. But in general, between I'm afraid between one and two hundred, I, I think it's um, it's shockingly low. But I don't draw salary, and the magazine loses money. Um, we expect to move into profit, and when we do, we'll, we'll, we'll pay more. But that's the reality; is that's what we pay at the moment. Thank you for your yes. candor, both of you. Um, I can't see, but it's the person, uh, yes, that lady there, yes. Hi, I'd just like to ask Michael about what is your print run and what do you estimate uh, your readership to be? If you haven't, I don't think you dealt with those. Um, we've, uh, reflecting our shockingly low finances, we've a not brilliant readership. We, we sell um, five to 7,000 copies on a print run of around 10. Um, the, the, the reach is fairly stable, but we're ambitious to increase it. Do you have an online presence? Yeah, we do. Um, it's not not brilliant, but it's we yeah we, we're there. Uh, I suppose online web design cheap, by the way. <laughs> well, it's the danger is I suppose if we're purporting to be a news magazine, it's difficult for us to, uh, given that we. There's five weeks before, <coughs> five weeks after the um, the magazine comes out before we start working the next magazine. It's difficult to maintain a magazine or a, a web presence that purports to be newsy because there are five weeks when you're not actually getting news. So mm -hmm. it just it doesn't, for the moment, work work well on the on the web. Sorry, there was somebody at the end of a row there. Yes. Um, yeah, I was just. Could you, I ask you just to speak up a little oh, bit louder, please. please. Thank you. Um, yeah. um, I just had a question for Deirdre. Um, I just wanted to know about the unique online content that you were saying. Um, maybe what exactly would you be looking for? Would it be video? Or uh, no, not necessarily. It yeah. might be just that um, you'd be proposing that um, the piece would par spark a discussion online. Oh, okay. You know, something like that. Um, could be any, I suppose, any online element. You could suggest that it would make a good um, audio slideshow, for example. And the Irish Times do a lot of them, um, kind of gallery images with uh, uh, audio commentary. You could suggest it for that. Um, or you could suggest it for a straightforward um, photo gallery. <coughs> Anything just is unique to online. Excuse me. Um, if you're um, doing First of all, you, you obviously pay as much um, for online content as you do for the printed version. Isn't that it? Like, it'd be on a pro rata, it'd be on, a, on the same sort of ratio. We commission very little uniquely for online. All right. <coughs> so when I'm saying uh, to put in, uh, you know, into your pitch, if you want to suggest a, an online element, I mean, that's one thing. That's just part of the, the package. But we don't really... Um, commission all that much um, copy out of house um, right, to be published. I suppose what I was actually asking you was that if somebody is actually going to make a pitch to the online version of the Irish Times, they yeah. can expect to get paid for it, obviously. Yeah. But they get paid roughly on a on the same basis as print would be. Like say, if it's a hundred to three hundred euro for um, a thousand words that you had to spend five hours on, be roughly a hundred to three hundred euro for a, a clip that you had to spend five hours putting together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't answer that because I simply don't know. Right, okay. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and I, I would reckon that there's not enough of it commissioned uh, for online, out of house, right, okay. to be That's able to say anything on that, kind of standardised about it in the first instance. Do you All know right. what I mean? Okay. 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 Somebody down the back, yes? Sorry, um, you're saying around about what you call it, obviously it's a bad idea to pitch a story, let's say, Monday evening, but what would be the best time or day to pitch a um, story? Um, this is for me, is that they, um, yeah, well it just happens Monday evening is, is when we would be going to to press, so that's not a great time. So like, if you think about, you know, the health supplement is out on a Tuesday morning, so Tuesday morning tends to be a good time um, for whoever's editing the supplement, do you know what I mean? So it's just... It's just that kind of thing, I suppose. You just think about the cadence of the, uh, the week for the person concerned. I mean, that, that just applies to me. But I mean, 
uh, with other um, sections, say for example uh, with the, the weekend section, you know, Thursday and Friday tend to be exceptionally busy days for them when they have, uh, you know, a whole <coughs> um, 16 broadsheet page um, supplement to put together um, from a production point of view. So they tend, the commissioning editor there tends not to have time to really look at anything else on Thursdays and Fridays. You know, so, uh, so it's that kind of thing. Just it's important to have an eye on the cycle for whatever um, organ you're, you're pitching to. I suppose from our point of view, if somebody sent in some ideas um, immediately after uh, we published the last edition, we'd probably look at that and you know veto one or two of them um, and suggest that the person suggest, um, submits this um, complete article close to the time when we're back on the, the next edition, which could be a month later. That probably would be ideal from our point of view and would at least avoid your submitting an article that's completely up the you know, along the wrong, long, wrong lines. Don't don't submit uh, pitches for interviews with Gerald Keane to Village. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any more questions from the floor? No. I just wanted to ask you something, uh, dear. You said that your your uh, readers are mainly women readers. Older readers are your <coughs> families, but presumably you. I mean, you do have a, a men's health section as well. Oh yeah, public, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But so presumably you're open to pitches from men as well as on any subject. Absolutely. It's kind of it's. I suppose it's, it's a little bit ironic, which is that you want to cultivate the areas where you have um, least traction. So one of the things we do is we, we specifically aim uh, one of our sections at men's health and we make a conscious effort to cover men's health issues. But men could, could pitch to you for any, any subject, I think. Okay. We, we, we particularly welcome uh, women writers. It's difficult for us to get um, women writers, so we're always trying to... Um, I'm not sure if we ha have we got any more questions now while you have these wonderful uh, commissioning editors here don't let the chance go yeah I have yes. this one for Michael um, given the title and I, I read the magazine once or twice um, it seemed to have quite an urban balance are you looking for rural stuff or is that kind of beyond the yeah. pale so to speak I wouldn't have chosen the title um, Village I'm not sure why Vincent went for Village I suppose his track record was he, he formerly Founded something called McGill, so maybe we were lucky that it wasn't even more obscure. But um, I think we, you know, we, we have a um, we sell a few copies in the north. We do make a point of having one or two articles from the north, and we we, we try to have um, a good balance of um, of rural stories. And the, the readership isn't that skewed against um, rural, but I suppose there, there would be some bias towards. Um, urban issues, but that's not, it's not deliberate. We welcome stories from anywhere. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Are we, oh, gentleman at the back, yes? Hi, Lynn. Um, this would be to both of you. Um, in terms of the people who write you, do you think it's better to have like, a profile of the person as well, if through LinkedIn or a uh, short bio of who you know, you know, the freelance writer is? Is for dear yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, if you're not familiar with them, um, and and somebody is just is approaching you for the first time in an email, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, somewhere to access a short short um, bio or or even contained within the email itself. Um, that's really useful to have. I think. Yeah. Single power fifty words at the bottom of the email. Mm. We're slightly different. We, we we wouldn't insist on it, or the, the, unless the article was strange or skewed, in which case it would be important that we find out that the person doesn't have a personal bias, but it's not, as I say, the provenance of the article isn't a particular um, concern. If it's from an academic, then that's different, but if it's a, from a journalist, we wouldn't, we'd be totally open-minded to, to printing a long article from a student or whatever if the quality was good enough. Yes? Just ask Michael, how does he feel about students? Um, no, we've, 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 we've We've never done it, and I'd be, I'd be, I'd be open to it if, if the uh, if the article was good enough. Maybe maybe a whistleblower. I suppose we might be open to, but we, we'd be cautious about it. And we don't know if there are genuine reasons that the person's the person might have some material problem if they if their name was printed. We'd be more open to it, but just um, just assume them for the 
sake that we wouldn't wouldn't welcome. Okay. Um, I think we can call the session closed if we if everybody is finished. Thank you very much for your contributions, and I'd like again to thank both Deirdre and Michael for their uh, very informative uh, addresses to us and answering uh, questions as well. Um, I'm sure you've all learned a lot, and um, you're going to be inundated, no doubt. Um, people will have to buy tomorrow's Irish Times, perhaps, to see who the uh, editor is at the moment. It's John Collins. Oh, there you are. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three. Yeah. And then we're uh, editor at villagemagazine.ie. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you.